Welcome to Broad Appeal, the podcast that looks back at female-driven films from the not-so-distant past. I'm Brian. I'm Sean. How you doing today, Sean? You know me, Brian. Super, as always. I know you, Sean. And you know I, me, Brian. I know, after all this time, after all these many episodes. Um, we are going to be dealing with one of my all-time favorite actresses in what may be her greatest role that is possibly open to debate. I am talking about theater queen turned unlikely movie star. Wait. Stop talking about yourself, Brian, and get on with it. <laughs> Kathy Bates. Ah, yes. Kathy Bates in Dolores Claiborne from 1995, directed by Taylor Hackford. Now, Sean, I think Dolores is probably your second favorite Claiborne, isn't she? Yeah, after Liz Claiborne. Liz Claiborne, designer of elegant suits and suitcases. Yeah, they're owned by the very hosts who are talking to you. <laughs> we, we wouldn't mind if you uh, free samples, Liz, if you're listening. Anyway. Um, no, she's dead. <laughs> she's not real. <laughs> okay, so um, Dolores Claiborne. I have seen this film, but you have some experience of the source material. Yeah, I read it as a teenager, but like many books that I start, I may not necessarily have finished it. Oh, so you... No, I, I've, I've got really far into it. Yeah. But I think I had to bring it back to the library or something. Okay, so who wrote the book, Dolores Claiborne? It was written by Stephen King, the yeah. great master of horror, but also, interestingly... A few books like this, which are non-horror, but definitely spooky. <laughs> so, I have to admit, I can remember my my middle school colleague saying, Oh, haven't you read Cujo, man? Oh, God, that is the scariest book. But I did not like scary things. I did not like scary books. And I stayed away from Stephen King. I stayed away from his books. I stayed away from his movies. <laughs> Probably the first Stephen King-related experience I ever had was with... The Shawshank Redemption, which had absolutely nothing to do with horror or supernatural anything and is not spooky at all. But I suspect, Sean, that you did not have the same tastes as me. No, mine weren't as queenie as yours. <laughs> nah, they were, they were. But I've always loved the horror genre. And actually, Stephen King was a transitional author for me in the sense that I knew I was reading adult books. Not so much that thematically it wouldn't go over my head, but the content was definitely not for young people. Favorite Stephen King books and or movies? The last Stephen King book I tried to read was It, but I stopped reading it. I mean, too scary? No, it was too long. But I read Carrie, I've read many short stories, I've read The Shining, I've read... Dolores Claiborne, Misery, I loved. You know, he's a great writer. Yeah. Amazingly cinematic writer as well. It, it does often work a bit like a TV show or a film, that there's these things to push it along. Hook you in. Yeah, hook you in. And I think things like The Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile and Dolores Claiborne and even Misery are a bit different because there is no supernatural element, but there definitely is... Um, an undertone of horror in all of those. Yeah, I have to say, you know, obviously a lot of people love other Stephen King-based movies, like Carrie has a huge critical reputation. For me, I remember watching Carrie, I was like all into it. I was like, 
oh, it's this sensitive emotional drama about a high school girl. And then all this telekinesis started happening. I was like, oh, God, not interested anymore. But that's the opposite of most people. They're waiting for the telekinesis to start. And suddenly it starts going on the rampage. You're over it. Sissy Spacek is enough of a special effect for me. <laughs> um, anyway, you mentioned a film, Misery. Uh, well, a book and a film. Kathy Bates was a relatively unknown character actress. She had been working on the stage, I think. And then... In 1990, sort of out of the blue, out of nowhere, as far as I know, she won the Best Actress Oscar for playing Annie Wilkes. Now, I have to say, Misery's not a movie that I absolutely love or really connect with. Um, you know, I think, it, I think it's good. But it is probably one of the Oscar wins that I'm the most grateful for. Kathy Bates winning the Oscar for Best Actress in Misery launched a career that I think for decades now has been really singular in American film actressing um, because, you know, she's not a conventional, beautiful woman. She's she's heavyset. She's a character actress. She was also much older when she came to fame. Yeah, absolutely. One of her acclaimed stage roles was in Frankie and Johnny and the Claire de Lune, which I think she appeared partially naked in. And then when it was turned into a movie, Michelle Pfeiffer was cast. So that goes to show you that Kathy Bates is not your typical screen heroine. But because she had that Best Actress Oscar for Misery, I think she got a much bigger career than um, she would have had otherwise. And we are very grateful for all the wonderful Kathy Bates performances, large and small, that we've had. Just think what would have happened had Sally Kirkland won that Oscar instead of Cher. <laughs> oh my no, god. She could it have been, been She could have been she could have Titanic. Been a, she could have been a multiple Oscar winner if she just had that launch pad. You know? <gasps> so Sean, what do you think about when you think about Kathy Bates? Do you like her as much as I do? Yeah, I know I really do. Why? She kind of navigates this line very confidently of being either comedic or sinister mm. or commanding or caring. Yeah, salt of the earth. And she pops in and adds adds levels to movies that I don't even like that much. Like The Blind Side, she suddenly appears. Or, of course, Bonneville. Yeah, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> I I could see her as a, as a homely shop owner or... President of the United States. Absolutely. Um, you know, she's had a run from 1990 until relatively recently with some major supporting roles and different things. But now she's mostly to be found on television. There was a short-lived show, I can't even remember what it was called, where she played a, like, gun-toting judge somewhere. It was one of those... Brian, that was a dream. No, it really was. I want to say it was called Saving Grace, but I think that was the name of the show that Holly Hunter was in. Crossing Jordan. It was called, like, Judging something, or... Judging Madison. <laughs> something like that. But it's in this long-standing tradition of actresses we love being demoted to police procedurals along with Patricia Arquette in Medium and all of these things. Hey, don't knock Medium. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's an algorithm that we, we could create that takes like some kind of gerund and combines it with uh, like a, a place name slash person's name. So something like um, Healing Georgia <laughs> or Navigating, uh, Navigating Virginia or something. <laughs> It's right up there with the Hope Floats, uh, Hope Springs yeah. kind of algorithm. Yeah. But obviously what I'm circling around and around is something 
that we've kind of been circling around and around for the last nine episodes. Like buzzards. And have failed to mention the decaying carcass, which is American Horror Story, which seems to be the repository of every amazing actress that we love. Now, you don't, you've never seen it, though, right? I have never seen so why a do single you hate frame. It so much? Why do you hate it so much? Because I hate Ryan Murphy. I hate everything he represents after, like, the first three episodes of Glee. I think he turns so much of gay culture into homogenized bullshit. But I do have to say that he has a great eye for casting. Um, he casts women who ought to be in every frickin' thing. Jessica Lang. The fierce Angela Bassett and Sarah Paulson, of, yeah, course, of course, and Kathy so, Bates. Chloe Sevigny. Yeah, oh God. God, you know everybody. And Actually, I mean, Golden Globe nominee Stephanie Germanotta. Yeah, now. of course. Yeah. So tell me, Sean, what, what does Kathy Bates do on American Horror Story? To be honest, I've only watched one of them, which was Coven, which was the I think it's the third or fourth one. First of all. The very first episode where she makes her debut into the series really scared the hell out of me. Yeah. So in the Coven one, she plays this horrible... Oh, Brian, it's so horrible. I'm just thinking about it. Yeah. She plays this grand head of this um, well-to-do New Orleans family in like the 19th century or something. And she is this like homicidal psycho killer who takes the young black men who work for her and enslaves them in her attic and like like tears them open and uh, and like tortures them and prips out their eyes and sews their mouths up and makes them eat shit and stuff. God. And it is really nasty. That embodies everything, every reason why I do not watch that show. Although I have to say, I guess I can understand why of all those actresses we mentioned, Ryan Murphy might have looked to Kathy Bates because she does have this horror background is a big part of her career portfolio, isn't it? Mm, yeah, I mean... It, but misery, Annie Wilkes misery, is a violent... Yeah. Yeah. I guess it is iconic in her filmography. Yeah. Um, Sean, tell me about Dolores Claiborne because this was one of the, for me, a transitional example of something where... Um, you know, like most naive young film goers who start watching movies when they're when they're quite young, seriously watching them, um, you kind of think Bogelbry. You kind of think, um, oh, every year the movies that win Oscars must be the best movies. And then you have some kind of moment where you're like, Hey, wait a minute, they're they're lying to us. It's not always the best movies that win the Oscars. And I think it was sometime around watching this performance in Dolores Claiborne, which came out in 1995, that I thought, well, Kathy Bates is really good in this movie. And it's just the fact that it's like a genre picture. She's already won for a Stephen King movie. I don't think people saw this as like a prestige picture that she'd get nominated for. Well, as far as I know about this picture, it was hampered by a lot of onset problems like I think some of the productions had burnt down or there was floods or something the release was delayed and the studio didn't know what to do with it so much and if you've seen the poster of this film it's awful why it's awful it's two badly faded in images of Jennifer Jason Lee and Kathy Bates over some kind of like sun setting sunset on a field it just looks crap I have to say while I have a strong memory of the atmosphere of this film of the gloominess of it of the setting in the grand old state of... Maine. Maine. The wonderful state of the Maine. The most demonic, evil state. Don't ever go to Maine. It's full of demons. Sean. It's full of killers. What are you basing your, your evidence on? Every Stephen King book, right? They're all <sighs> set in Maine. It's also the wonderful world of Jessica Fletcher and Murder, She Wrote. Yeah, full of murder. 
death. But delightful bloodless murder that's solved by a lovable old lady and a spry codgery doctor saying, Jessica, I don't think you should be getting involved in these murders. Oh, I didn't know Catherine Hepburn get started in those. <laughs> oh, I hope we get some good main accents in Dolores Claiborne. I can remember the plot. Well, you read the book, so enlighten us. So as far as I know, Dolores Claiborne um, works for this for the woman in the big house. Yeah. Who she's always had some kind of horrible dynamic with, yet they're paired together. Mm-hmm. And... That woman has died, and Dolores is the only suspect. Yeah, exactly. Actually, the book was a very interesting narrative experience for me, because I'd never read a book like this before, in which the entire story is told from Dolores' perspective in a police station, and it's all it's all in the first person. So it, it goes into the history of uh, Dolores' life, of her marriage, and of her daughter as well. It's, it's very much a family drama as well. Yeah, see, now, I think that's interesting, and it would be interesting to compare this when we see the film, because my memory is that the film is told much more from the daughter's character's perspective. It's like, she's coming back, she's oh. left, and her mother has been accused of this crime, and so she's sort of piecing together along with her mother what did really happen is my mother really guilty of murder um as we're talking about it actually with the maternal drama the death the daughter going away and maybe raising above her station of her working class mother it's starting to remind me of one of the archetypal maternal drama weepies that i know you love what's it sounding a bit like Oh, no, I zoned out for a second. What is it? A, a melodrama that I like? Yes, oh, about mothers and daughters. Yes, ah! Mildred, Do you start to see the, the, the comparisons Yeah, of there? course, of course. Yeah. Yeah, but Vita was an asshole. Well, my memory is that the Jennifer Jason Leigh character is this kind of jaded, cynical, angry girl who's gone off to the big city and comes back. So there are traces of the kind of Vita uh, <laughs> comparisons. Get out of Vida. Get your things out of this house right now before I throw down the street and you with them. I want to leave behind everything that smells of grease. Um, Get out before I kill you. And perhaps this is why I responded to this movie, because essentially for all its trappings of being a crime thriller and a murder and all this stuff, it really is, in my memory, a drama of women and feminism and mothers and daughters, and also... Dolores' relationship to the woman that she works for. And it's also about class, isn't it? Because um, yeah, very much so. Dolores is a working class nurse or maid or carer or something like that. I will see. Yeah. But I know that the, the woman is a, kind of, she's in what we call in Ireland the big house. Yeah. 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 A kind of upstairs, downstairs yeah, sort of Yeah, very much so. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee, Sean, she's... She's kind of back this year with a couple of high-profile roles. What do you think of when you hear her name? Nothing. I think of um, Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> like, I don't know anything about Jennifer Jason Lee. Really? Nope. She's kind of was the indie queen of my youth. If Hollywood was a high school, Jennifer Jason Lee was the kind of girl in the corner in, like, a black coat, like, smoking cigarettes, who was, like, cool but standoffish. That, that's what I think of Jennifer Jason Lee, And this role sort of epitomizes that. So do you think listener Scott Hoffer was a fan of Jennifer Jason Lee in, in high school? <laughs> Possibly. Uh, one other name that I have for you. Taylor Hackford. The husband of Helen Mirren. Mm-hmm. Director of Officer and Gentleman. And... Um, Ray. Yeah, Ray. And... Um, 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 he's a director <laughs> of, of this picture. That's kind of exactly right. I think you put that very well. He is a director. I've thought it's probably... Not necessarily good for his career that his name is Taylor 
Hackford. He kind of seems to me to embody those workmanlike, successful directors who've never really been realized as an auteur in any possible yeah, way. A quality, a quality director. Yeah, who can like deliver like the, deliver yeah. a film. Like in the old days. Yeah. So, are we ready to uh, go to the spooky old state of Maine and yeah. find out what happened to that old lady? Dead spooky. Yeah, I'm ready to go. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's go over to Bar Harbor. <laughs> I've got my whale pants ready to go. <laughs> Great, we'll get some lobster. You ought to take a look at this, date. You might want to see what an ass is supposed to look like. <laughs> you know, guys on the boat, always talking. Everybody saying what a looker you are. Well, you know what I do? I come right to your defense. I say, well, shit, she may be ugly now, but you should have seen her when I was drinking. <laughs> yeah, my mother warned me you'd let yourself go. Fat ass. Lousy cooking. Put in that goddamn mouth. Guess what, Joe? I ain't tired anymore. Sit back down, Joe. You don't want this in your head. Honey. Go on back to bed, honey. Your father and I are just having a little discussion here. Is everything all right? Yeah. Isn't it, Joe? Yeah. Right as rain. You go ahead, honey. Go on back to bed now. Daddy? Go on. You're gonna get a payback. Go on. All I ask is that you do it quick. And don't let Selena see the mess once it's over. You wanna run me down? You go right ahead. You can be as mean and hurtful as you want. But this is the last time you will ever hit me. You do it again. One of us is going to the boneyard. We've just spent a few hours in the company of Dolores Kleben. <laughs> the atmosphere and the tone of this movie was exactly, as I recall, washed out, bleak, grim colours representing Maine. Image-wise, I remembered the ferry and Jennifer Jason Lee returning to her childhood home, dressed in black, the black of a New York sophisticate return to the sticks, smoking in dark glasses, and there's her grim-faced, taciturn mother. So it was that atmosphere that I really recalled. And you have to admit, that is layered on thick in this film. Oh, God, is it? Dolores, despite her bitchy, provocative exterior, her salty language, her sort of foul-mouthed ability to piss everybody off, is actually a sympathetic character. Oh, yes. She's sympathetic from... Quite early on, I thought. So, why don't we recount the plot a bit? Okay, Dolores Claiborne has worked in this old woman's house for the last 22 years. This old, horrid woman. and the woman, Very rich. Very rich, hard woman. And the woman has died. The reason why it's such a big deal is because Dolores is discovered over the body of this woman holding a marble, it looked like a marble rolling, uh, pin. rolling pin, and uh, as a result is questioned by the police. 
Her daughter is mysteriously called from New York. She's a she's a high flying journalist with a lot of heavy personal problems. It seems. Just quickly, she's not called. She's sent a fax. Oh yeah, there's yeah. a lot of lot of references to faxing in this yeah. film. Yeah, I thought I loved faxing. <laughs> so she's faxed from uh, New York to come to Maine, and she hasn't seen her mother in eighteen years. It turns out, and we uh, find out that these two women. I've had a very difficult relationship owing to the mysterious death of this woman's father when she was a young girl and Dolores' involvement in it in some way. So many people in the town view Dolores as a murderer, especially the detective who is who is running the case, played by Christopher Plummer, who is out to get her. Yeah, he basically... He's solved every single case that he's ever had except being able to pin the murder of her husband on Dolores Claiborne. It was ruled an accident, wasn't it? Death by misadventure. (laughs) That's a good one. And he has a bit of a flinty accent as well. Basically everyone in this this film, except Jennifer Jason Leigh, is putting on quite a thick main accent. They give it it a good shot. It's relatively good. The worst one is John C. Riley, <laughs> And it's unfortunate that you, he's actually a person who speaks a lot at the start, but he kind of introduces the main accent into it. And you're thinking, whoa, that's going to be annoying if I have to hear it the entire time. But actually, it's only him who it's, does it really badly. It seems to work brilliantly for Kathy Bates because most of her lines are kind of really brilliant flippant asides to people where she's sort of saying things like, I'll kick this so far up your ass that you'll never be right. <laughs> of course, it doesn't end with... She mumbles a lot. <laughs> no, she always has these, like, salty expressions for how far she's going to kick something up somebody's ass. It'll be like a hunchback. <laughs> yeah. I can't do the accent. Or when she arrives at her house and, and they've spray-painted bitch on the front of her house and she says, cheese and crackers. <laughs> now you listen to me, Mr. Grand High Poobah of Upper Butt Crack. I'm just about half past give a shit with your fun and games. There was also the presence of another actor who we've come to know in one of our past episodes who we had not remembered was in this film, and that is... David Strathairn. David Strathairn. You may remember him as the harried... The lame dad. Harried, um, worker drone husband from the River Wild. In here, a very different kind of husband. How would you describe him? He was horrible, oily, abusive, drunk... And nasty. Beats her up. Oh yeah, horrible. Horrible. Horrible Horrible drunk. Abusive. (laughs) There's a lot of flashbacks, which I'm sure we'll discuss more, but we really first see how crass and crude David Strathairn is when he has a bit of a hole in his his trousers. His pants have split slightly, haven't they, Sean? Yeah, it's a rip in the ass. And and what do we get a nice view of? And he, he, like, I mean, you're laughing, but I thought it was kind of creepy, even jokingly. He pulls his rip apart and we see his um, white underpants. But actually, we get a shadow of his like butthole as well, which <laughs> for, is kind of rare. For David Strathain fans out there, if you're interested to see the man's actual butthole... No, you don't see his butthole. But this get, is as close as you're going to yeah. get, except for that, you know, the, the, those early porn films <laughs> that, he's, that he's suppressed. <laughs> okay, Dolores is kind of implicated in these two different people's killings. And that probably the thing that seems to imply that she would have killed the old lady is a kind of plot revelation that comes out, which is... Yeah, you all can read the plot revelation. <laughs> that the lady, old lady... Vera Donovan. Vera Donovan, that's it, has left Dolores all her money, which is about $1.8 or $6 million. Yes, so 
Police detective Christopher Plummer thinks this is clearly why she's done it. Yeah. But of course, we are quite sympathetic to Dolores. I think pretty early on. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. And why is that? You know, I think it comes down to Kathy Bates. Mm. And even just the way she holds herself. She always looks like a woman who is looking into memory. Mm -hmm. You know, she's not holding herself with anger or rage. She's holding herself with this memory. She's also, she's a hard-working kind of salt-of-the-earth kind of woman. Like, she doesn't put up with any shit from anybody, but she also kind of goes about her business. Um, she uh, says, I, this is a big house, but I'm a big woman. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. When she comes to first interview for the job as the maid for the rich old lady, she says that. And later on, um, the old lady, brilliantly played by Judy Parfit, says, um, Why do you look so trod upon, Dolores? She does. She's weighted down by so many things, by the manual labor she has to do, by the difficulty of her marriage, by the disdain of her daughter, and basically the scorn of everyone around her. So she is, she's a really sympathetic character in addition to being a quote-unquote bitch. I think this movie probably uses the word bitch more often than any film yeah, in history. it does. You can tell that it was written by a man and another man. <laughs> And directed by a man. Well, yeah, and maybe we'll talk about what being a bitch seems to mean to the women of this film. But could you just wrap up for our listeners kind of what the big revelations are? Yeah, so the big revelation, which is also pretty horrible, is that Joe, her husband, has been abusing his own daughter and has robbed her blind of all the money that Dolores has saved up for her all her life. And that Jennifer Jason Lee, who plays Selena, has totally repressed all these memories. And so it turns out that um, Dolores has not had any premeditated plan to kill Vera Donovan. That In fact, Vera Donovan was so sick of being old that she had tried to commit suicide, and it only looked like Dolores had been involved when the postman came in and saw her with the rolling pin. However, she did have some kind of a premeditated plan to kill her husband. Yeah, I mean... It's a very weird plan. What's the legality about this? I don't know, because basically the day that this is all coming to a head um, in the past is the day of an eclipse. There's There's a big eclipse, which adds for lots of atmospheric effects. And so Dolores' plan seems to be get my alcoholic husband really drunk, make him a nice dinner, and she seems to be nice to him at first, and he's a bit surprised, and he gets totally soused. Then she kind of comes at him and starts a fight. She brings up the revelation that she thinks he's been molesting their daughter. He attacks her, and she goes for it. She runs through the yard. And then basically Dolores contrives to make him run over a well that's in the yard, and he falls down the well and dies. Mm -hmm. As far as um, murder plots go, it's quite a complicated one with lots of ways in which it might not work. But it does, and he does die. Yeah, as far as I remember in the book, that was quite a pivotal scene, and there is a build-up to it where Dolores, you know, makes him the lunch, she puts on the dress. It's very much a kind of a a meditative preparation for what's about to happen. And I remember Stephen King does it very, very well. I'm sure he does. And also, interestingly, Vera Donovan, the rich old lady, seems to plant the idea for the murder in Dolores's It's not a murder. Mind. It's not really a murder. Okay, whatever you want to call it. The, I don't the, know. I'm on, I'm on team Dolores for this. Okay, thing. but what are we going to call it? The, You're on side the, the law. Um, aggravated, hom- uh, aggravated manslaughter. Like, what has she done? Premeditated she, manslaughter. Okay, okay. So, premeditated manslaughter. Sure. But what I'm saying about the relationship between Vera and Dolores in those scenes is really interesting. And actually... 
um, Vera is the first character to int- introduce this phrase that keeps getting repeated. Sometimes being a bitch is the only thing a woman has to hold on to. And she basically pushes Dolores over the edge to say, kill your husband. The way she's been acting around him, I should have known it sooner. My God! How far has he gone? He wasn't always like this. We started out wanting to dream come true. Has he fucked her? I don't know. I don't know. It's a depressingly masculine world we live in, Dolores. Maybe I'm wrong. What if you're right? Husbands die every day, Dolores. Why? One is probably dying right now while you're sitting here, weeping. They die and leave their wives their money. I should know, shouldn't I? Sometimes they're driving home from their mistress's apartment and their brakes suddenly fail. An accident, Dolores, can be an unhappy woman's best friend. Now, Sean, from the way you've been grimacing, I'm guessing that you, while engaged in the plot and the performances, thought the movie had some tonal flaws in the direction. I really found this film completely weighed down by really irritating directorial choices. Like what? For example, there is this constant going back and forth in time. And I understand that, you know, I'm okay with that. It's a film about memory. But it's that really simplistic choice of being, oh, now it's a, it's a moody situation, so let's put a blue filter on this. And now we're going back to simpler times in the summer, let's put a warm filter on this. And that's what it is. And it goes from one to the other so much. And you, you so don't want to be in the present situation at all. It really, I mean, turns out it wasn't filmed in Maine. Just as well, because nobody wanted to go there. Just across the border in Nova Scotia. It's just quite grim. And various images of shattered glass. And, Mm. you know, and like, you know, the sky reflects the mood of the people. I will say that the scene in which uh, Dolores plans to drop Joe down the well, I think looks great. Um, Tonally, it's very good. They make great use of the sunset, sorry, the eclipse. And the camera kind of dips and swoops and swerves, kind of as Dolores is navigating. You also get a lovely shot of Kathy Bates's quite lovely, you know, plump legs. Kathy you Bates know? is is she a real really, woman. She's a real woman. She really suits her body shape. You and, know? You, and you never see women like that in main roles in and she looks, big movies. She looks great. You know, she's a big woman in a big movie. Yeah, and I and I, I really like that. Jennifer Jason Lee had quite a difficult job in the film because Selena is a character who obviously has suppressed all these memories. She also has a drinking problem and she takes a shed load of antidepressants or pills or something in your tranquilizers. She is a, an unhappy woman with problems and she kind of plays it in this very dour, very one note, almost mon- monotonal. And you, you know, you totally understand if you could, the character, she's done a very good job getting it across it just really grates after a while and it she does not hold up compared to Kathy Bates who is working with flawed material as well but is really giving an, an ace job 
you're right. It is so clenched. Like the whole performance is clenched, and she, she, and she has some nice things. Did you notice that she kept applying moisturizer? Yeah, all the time. I like that. I, it was those little touches that made her seem a little bit more like an individual. But you're right. She, she doesn't feel as fleshed out. Um, they did, however, I think, do a good job of ca- casting brilliantly a 13-year-old girl as young Selena, who really seemed like she was a young Jennifer Jason Oh, Lee. It's, it was really great. And I wondered even if they had dubbed in Jennifer Jason Lee's own voice to the girl at times, because because she kind of had that same kind of raspy, sort of, I don't open my mouth up very much kind of way of talking at times. <laughs> she ha- did her best with what she had. I, I just, the second the credits ran, I turned to Brian and said that there's a much, much better film of that book waiting to happen. Or, with or, these actors with as these, well. I mean, like, I mean, if only... The the musical scoring was so irritating. Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. Unacceptable. <laughs> but also Taylor Hackford for allowing it there so much. It felt to me very Max Steinery, like that you know, that sort of nineteen forties I'm gonna highlight everything with shrieking strings at certain moments. Can we just talk a bit more about Kathy Bates and the character of Dolores? Obviously, she's known for Annie Wilkes, and there are moments within this, particularly when she's, like, raising that rolling mm-hmm. pin above the old lady's mm-hmm. face, that you think, oh, I see why Kathy Bates was cast in yeah. this again. They're, they're playing on this sense that she is a kind of crazed murderess. But Dolores Claiborne is such a richer, more humane mm-hmm three-dimensional character because she has sweetness, she has softness, not just in the past, but also in the present in the scenes alone with her daughter. Did, did you feel that as well? Very much so, but I think this is Kathy Bates's true strength. Mm. Even as Annie Wilkes, the crazed homicidal mania, there's something about Annie that's a very likable anti-hero. Mm. And, and she brings that to all the roles she does. I mean, I'm thinking of her last Oscar nomination. Do you remember, did you ever see Kathy in About Schmidt? Yeah. Yeah. Which we see a lot of her in that film. <laughs> I'm I'm glad that, that she's still a great character actress today. I, I mean, she has so much going for her. I'm so glad she's still working. It's still quite prominent. I guess what I'm saying is nice to see this woman who goes to such extremes with violence and foul language and all this stuff also being allowed to be vulnerable and cry and be maternal. She yeah. gets to play a lot of notes. She in this. really does, and and convincingly to play sort of middle-aged mother and much older woman. The makeup was quite good. Now, in Copycat, our last episode, we kind of debated whether we thought that that movie was a film about sisterhood. I'm going to throw that question to you about this one as well, Sean, because we have sort of three different women, Vera Donovan, Dolores Claiborne, and Selena St. George, Dolores' daughter. All could be described as basically bitches by the men of the film. They behave bitchily, they're hostile, they're aggressive. And yet there's a kind of sisterly solidarity between them that's very much about how they've been fucked over by various men and reacted against it. It is actually a feminist relationship rather than sisterly. Say more. Well, I mean, what is feminism when you believe that women should be equal to men and you have to kind of fight for that equality? In this picture, these women are downtrodden by maleness and masculinity and all the stupid things that go with it. And they have to do what they have to do to get a certain equality in their lives, to get a certain agency. And I think that they are much more connected in terms of their sense of oppression and how to get out of it 
than they are about being nice to each other. And I think those two are quite... Or nice easy. to anyone. Yeah, and I think they're important to distinguish. You don't have to be nice and be a feminist. You don't have to be nice and be a sister. You don't have to be any of those things. I mean, they have a, they have a solidarity between them. Do you think it's unfortunate that we keep coming back to the same theme every time we do this podcast? What is that? About the horrible oppression that's placed on women. Is this just the films we've chosen or is it, uh, is it just this is what women in film are like they, or they have, to, they have to deal with? Part of the thing is um, we have been choosing films that have women in central characters and it is interesting to note that certainly at least in this period we're looking at, when, when women are given these strong central roles, it's as if they have to comment on women's situation, quote-unquote. It's not like we can just have a story about a character that's played by an actress. Um, be interesting to kind of draw some conclusions after we've finished going through our list of female-driven films and to say it, we, we've not been particularly picking films that were made, written, and directed by women, which I think is perhaps... Telling. Yeah. Yeah. I would still tell people to watch Dolores Claiborne, particularly if you want to get some choice quotes from Kathy Bates. I didn't kill that bitch anymore and I'm wearing a diamond tiara. There is a very good story and great performances nonetheless. It's just unfortunate that that film is the adaptation of that particular Stephen King book. And that really breaks my heart a little bit. Well, we'll try to heal Sean's heart. With some big and important news, we will soon have a Broad Appeal website. So when you turn off this podcast, get on the internet and go to www.broadappealpod.com to check out our website where we're going to be posting all our current episodes, our past episodes. Brian, I'd like to take this moment to point out that our website has been built by Squarespace (laughs) in case they're listening. Yes, uh, and we have not been paid anything by Squarespace. In fact, we paid them for the privilege. Yes, so um, check out our website. And also, we are coming into the month of February, and for all actress-loving people around the world, you know that February is the month of... The Academy Awards. That's right, so we are going to take a break um, from our normal round of 90s films, and we will be looking in our next episode at... The movies that have been nominated this year at the Oscars. But not in all the categories. Oh, no. The only categories that matter, Best Actress and, most importantly, Best Supporting Actress. That's right. We will be going through our takes on all the female acting nominees. Uh, Anything else you want to say, Sean? Yeah. If you want to subscribe, you can do so via iTunes or Stitcher. And it would be excellent if you could leave us a review. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Broad Appeal Pod. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the Oscars. Bye.